Hi friends, welcome to the wilderness of the summer. We are firmly between seasons now, deep into the forest of uh, of summer activity. This is the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast in association with Future Radio. I'm Connor Southwell and we're joined by Adam Harvey and Paddy Davitt. Um, even though there hasn't been too much going on in the last week in the world of, of Norwich City, there's still plenty to discuss. We now know the full makeup of the championship that Norwich City will be competing in next season. There's plenty of transfer lines to delve our teeth into, as well as taking a reflection generally on where Norwich City find themselves with their squad composition at this moment in time. Um, So plenty to discuss and dissect. Paddy, let's start with you, because I think it would be remiss of us, really. I mean, you might not thank us for this, but to start with uh, with. Wembley, the playoff final. Um, I guess the first question that, that people want to know is, did you manage to get yourself to, I mean, I know the answer, but did you manage to get yourself in at, uh, at Wembley on, when was it, Saturday? I was there, Connor, as you well know, yeah. Um, doing a little bit. As it turned out, unfortunately, the story from a Norwich perspective was Carlton Morris. Um, so I had a joyous hour's wait in the mix zone for Carlton Morris. Not a reflection on Carlton Morris, just obviously a... Uh, as, as anybody can just sort of cast their mind back to 2015 and Norwich's success, there's a lot of champagne to be drunk, sprayed around, silly dancing, uh, social media pictures from player accounts. So, in other words, it was a long, drawn-out process, which is what you need as a Coventry fan, I'm sure, when uh, you're also seeing Cov players, because to give a, an indication for what a mix zone looks like, it's basically this long corridor where the media are corralled behind some crash barriers and basically players all troop passed en route to, I think they were going to the player lounges actually, um, but but not too far from the tunnel area, uh, pitch side. So yeah, the, you had the juxtaposition of uh, some very gloomy looking faces of a Coventry persuasion, mine included, and uh, and then delighted Luton. Well, everybody I saw from Mick Hartford to, uh, to Carter Morris with a bit of Michael Oliver, who was the ref on the day thrown in, who looked like he was going nightclub and he had the, he had the skinny jeans on and uh, he had a bottle of, I'm not going to say it was beer, but it looked distinctly like beer in his hand. So uh, he was he was up for a big one by the sound of it, Mr. Oliver. But um, so, yeah, so I was there and uh, and from obviously a fan perspective, uh, pretty cruel way to lose, well, the season really, you know, one kick of a penalty. Uh, don't think the ball st- has come down yet from Fankerty Darbo. It was a bit Chris Waddle-esque, uh, anybody who didn't watch the penalties. But um yeah, I'd imagine from a commentary perspective, internally, I mean, Mark Robbins and his players, there'd, there'd be a, a lot of frustration because they didn't get going in the first half. Um, and he admitted it as much. You know, they were they were second best, even though Luton had that terrible injury to their captain, Tom Lockyer, who it sounds like, thankfully, is is it's not quite as um, sort of uh, shocking as it looked in terms of he just collapsed on the pitch, but was, was able to be, albeit from his hospital bed, take part in the celebration. So... Um, but yeah, no, and then for Kov to get back into it, and I think in terms of injuries, I think Hamer going off for them was a big blow. You know, he's their talisman, their dare I say it, Buendia esque creative linchpin, and um, rolled his ankle midway through the second half when covering the ascendancy. I thought, and uh, from then on, it was looked like two teams who'd basically given everything all season and uh, were just sort of limping to the penalty shootout. But um, fair play to Morris. What a story, you know, to bring it full circle in terms of, you know, a lad there who was discarded by Norwich, had his injuries as well. Um, and yet he's now a Premier League footballer. And when I put that to him, actually in that mix zone an hour or so on from the final whistle, that 
because there was a tweet. I don't know if anybody recalls when they beat Sunderland in the semi-finals of the playoffs. Luton, uh, Darren Huckabee tweeted about you know what a character and what a what a, a spirit and a resilience to to come back from those knockbacks in his early career and series of loans and looking like he was probably at best going to be a lower league player um, to to go on and a get to the final, but then b scored the first penalty as well for Luton, twenty goals this season. Um, a tremendous story of perseverance. And and when I put those comments to him in the mix zone and that you're now a Premier League footballer, he had to almost have a double take and said it was the first time since the game had finished that anybody had referred to him as a Premier League footballer and he would it would probably take him a while for that to sink in. And um, and you wish him well, you know, because um, it's a hell of a story. I put in my commentary supporting leanings to one side, you know, two teams were in League Two, Five years ago, that was a fixture in League Two, and now you know Luton go on to to the promised land. And uh, relative to where we're going to get into now, this discussion with Norwich this summer and, and, and resets, it isn't about who's got the deepest pockets. We now know the three are coming down from the Premier League: Leicester, Luton, uh, sorry, Leicester, Leeds, and um, Southampton. They will be armed with all the financial advantages that Norwich should have had this past season doesn't guarantee you anything. The fact that Luton and Coventry got to the playoff final and Luton go on to the Premier League, it is possible with the right structures in place, with the right people in the key positions uh, and with a mindset. And as Carlton said to us after the game, you know, with a togetherness that they're good footballers and, and, and that goes probably under the radar, but that was two seasons worth of work. Luton were in the playoffs the season before and they built on it again. But actually he said they're good people. There's real good people in, in that club and, and to go to work with those types of people, um, you know, you can't put a price on that. And and that has been the cornerstone of both clubs' rise, really. Norwich Coventry's mantra is rise together. That's their club motto um, because they've had their problems, you know, nomadic existence, no home ground for two years, Northampton, Birmingham, St. Andrews. It can be done. And obviously that's, you know, where we're coming at it from a Norwich perspective this summer. It feels like they're in a bit of flux and that they don't have the finances that they had in previous summers. Um, and the squad needs a, a, a refresh and a churn, but it can be done. And as Rob Edwards, the Luton manager said in his um, match program interview at Wembley, nobody inside Luton, inside Coventry, outside of those clubs would have said before a ball was kicked in August, Luton will play Coventry in the playoff final. It can be done. And that's the challenge now for Norwich starting you know, this summer and, and then more importantly, pre-season and the start of next season. Yes, there's been a lot made about this looks an incredibly tough championship now. Now the full list of clubs, both the ones dropping out from the Premier League and the ones there, we say Ipswich, Sheffield and Plymouth coming up from League One. It looks a hellishly difficult league to get out of, but it can be done. Um, Luton approved it can be done. And to be fair, Norwich, 18-19, proved it can be done. So, um, yeah, it was on a personal level very sad day in, in my supporting life of a Coventry fan, but you have to take a step back and credit Luton and and then very swiftly look at it from a Norwich prism and say, if Luton could do it and Coventry could do it, there's no reason Norwich shouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, um, you know, not not to be fair that I've I've seen very much, but I think it's, it's easy to look at Carlton Morris in particular and um, 
adopt some revisionism around that story. I mean, there's a player there who was so unfortunate with with injuries during his time at Norwich. I mean, the last time he was at Wembley when he was on loan at Shrewsbury and that kind of felt him and Ben Godfrey were in the same team and it felt like they were both going to come into that Norwich City side and make a big difference. And he obviously suffered then a, another serious knee injury that um, all but ended his, his Norwich City career effectively. Played for, what, 14 minutes off the bench. That was his only Norwich appearance. I think you'd have been hard-pressed to find anybody at that point who maybe would have felt that he would have come into Norwich City's team and made a significant difference. And actually, sometimes that kind of thing, a player going through the experiences that he did, sometimes that can work in a different way. And we've seen that with the likes of Harry Toffolo as well, who, who obviously has reached the Premier League after leaving Norwich. It can be the making of players. And sometimes people do need to go away to to, to progress. Maybe we're seeing a bit of that with Todd Campwell at the moment as well. So um, I, I don't think there should be any kind of blame at Norwich City's door for for not seeing that talent because I think they did see that talent he played in a FA Youth Cup winning side he was highly regarded they kept him at the club until he was what 25 um, what he's done subsequently has been tremendous and that is obviously of course because of uh, because of Barnsley and, and, and subsequently Luton and who have transformed him really into one of the most prolific strikers in the division I wanted to say as well um, Joe Taylor who who also played for for Luton formerly of Kings Lynn he was playing for Wroxham um, not not too long ago at all uh, obviously, had that very cruel moment in in extra time where he felt he'd scored the winner uh, before it was chalked off rightly by by VAR for a handball. But even so, to to still stick your hand up and and, and go and dispatch a penalty was uh, was brilliant. So another Norfolk lad doing really well. And of course, Rob Edwards, who who played about five games on loan for Norwich, I think, so a more tenuous Norwich City connection. Mark Robbins, um, I, I'm sure there are a lot of Norwich fans who gutted for him, but what a job he's done at Coventry, like you say. So we're going to get into the full kind of makeup of the championship a little bit later on, um, because as, as you said, Paddy, that on paper at this moment in time is looking like a very interesting division. But we will start with Norwich City and obviously the latest rumblings in the transfer market. I mean, remarkable to, to still think we're recording this on the 30th of May. We're not even into June yet and feels like it's um, it's been a fairly frenetic start on the, on the transfer front. Um, Stuart Weber, of course, and, and David Wagner as well, very keen to get stuff done early. I think Stuart Weber said they wanted 80% of their business done by the time uh, they, they went on their their pre-season travels. So um, that probably leans us, Adam, to, to Shane Duffy, uh, 31-year-old defender uh, at Fulham. Obviously, most people remember him for 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 what he did at Brighton, playing a, a major role in really the the start of their rise to European football as it has been under, under Chris Hewton, then subsequently Graham Potter, and now uh, it didn't work under Roberto Di Zerbi, but certainly Potter. Um, but that kind of rise, Shane Duffy's played a major role, integral role in that. He's had loan spells at Celtic and and, and Fulham made that permanent in, in January. He's out of contract this summer. Uh, Fulham made that permanent effectively to free up a loan spot so they could sign a player in January. Um, reports in, in, in the national media this weekend that Norwich City were uh, were closing in and, and we hear all sorts of expressions like that and heading the queue and all of the uh, all of the good stuff that you hear at this time of year for him. I mean, what 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 do you make of that as a, a as a link? I suppose um, first and foremost, it probably reaffirms what we've been speaking about in terms of Norwich City's pursuit of of experience, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, central defence for me was, was a major issue, certainly in the latter stages of last season. Of course, they suffered the injuries of, of Hanley and Gibson, and that lack of experience alongside Omar Amadeli at the time really showed, I think, and and Norwich really lacked the leadership at the back. So for me, that's probably with Hanley being out till probably the start of 2024, if we're being honest, and we don't really know what he's going to come back like, you know, because a lot of these players, when they've, you know, done the, uh, you know, the ligament damage that he's done, has um, 
it can be a bit of a problem to to then come back and and make an impact. So um, I think this, you know, for me, it was probably an area that needed to be addressed. And Shane Duffy's probably the kind of signing, the experience in the championship. You know, he's played a lot of games in the Premier League, and I've always been quite impressed when I've when I've seen him play. Um, I think you know he's quite good on the ball, playing in a Brighton side that you know were quite quite expansive under Graham Potter. So certainly, if that's the way that David Wagner wants to to play, then he's got a player there that's capable of playing out from the back. Um, He's played alongside Grant Hanley as well in the past at Blackburn. So, you know, eventually if Grant Hanley does work his way back into the side, then you've got a central defensive partnership there that's played together with each other for for a couple of seasons. And yeah, I think the experience as well at international level, you know, that can be quite big in in sort of games where maybe if Norwich do get to the latter stages of next season in a sort of top six race, then that sort of experience of, of playing at the top level can really come into its own and, and Norwich can benefit from that. So certainly, you know, one for, for me that's positive, especially when you've got the likes of Tomkinson and, and Warner and Hills in the in the ranks as well, you know, that can maybe benefit from from that experience. Um, yeah, for me, quite a positive name, certainly in terms of the age bracket as well. You know, he's, he's not, you know, sort of latter stage of 30. He's still only just, you know, in the sort of early stage of his 30s. So um, lots of good years still ahead of him, I think. Yeah, and I, and I think you could make a case that 31 for a central defender is kind of prime time, isn't it? Really, we, we we've seen that maybe with with Grant Hanley, and and like you say, that injury is a is a major blow. I mean, he's he's an interesting one, Pad, in that um, you know he's he's made a lot of appearances in in his career. Obviously, very experienced footballer, um, 132 appearances in the Championship. Uh, obviously, combination of of Blackburn and uh, and Brighton smattering of others as well but 120 appearances in the Premier League whereas where he's he's kind of been playing I guess he hasn't played too much football since about December 21 for various reasons injuries obviously that that move to Fulham he's only played five games for them this season um, probably hasn't been needed really in terms of the, the work that Tim Ream and, uh, and others have done there to step up and been involved in a very successful season for Fulham relative to, to obviously their circumstances first year in the Premier League. Nobody needs to tell Norwich fans how difficult that is to do what Fulham have done this year. What do you make of, of Shane Duffy? I mean, he's a player. Norwich have a lot of Irish players anyway, a lot of um, a lot of players who will know Shane Duffy, Tim Krul, of course, from Brighton as well. So in terms of dropping a player in similar ways to, the, I guess, the conversation we had around Ashley Barnes, I guess he ticks a lot of the box that, boxes that Stuart Webber was speaking about when it comes to experience, mentality uh, and leadership as well in this group. Exactly. All of the above, Connor, yeah. And and as AH has pointed out, with the Grant Hanley situation, very, very serious, probably career-threatening, we have to say, um, in terms of our take, looking at it for, for a player who you know, is in is in the uh, the more experienced category, I draw a parallel with Louis Thompson. He was never quite the same player. I know he did his Achilles again, unfortunately for him, when he was coming back from the first Achilles, but never really re- uh, threatened to go on and repeat, let alone improve on where he'd got his career to prior to. So there, there has to be a huge question mark about Grant Hanley in terms of his effectiveness moving forward. And if that is the case, allied to where we were already going with David's comments towards the end of last season and Stuart added to them regarding the, the sense that they were probably light in that department. And that was, of course, magnified when Hanley, when Kenny McLean, when Ben Gibson were all ruled out down the stretch. You know, one win from 11 wasn't all down to the, the loss of those three, but it in the in the, in the the quest for having a, a group who uh, maybe have been on the ropes a few times and can roll with the punches, um, they were lacking, clearly, clearly lacking in that department. So you add Barnes, you now potentially add Duffy. You're ticking a few boxes in that regard. Um, and it's, I've just, 
as you were talking there, just had a look there. He's only actually had 15 starts in the last two seasons. So despite the fact that in terms of his age, he's the other side of 30, there's not many miles on the clock in the last two seasons. Um, and and Is, I've seen Could that. you flip that though and argue that it's a concern? I mean, that, that, that may be a, a question mark that some people have looking at maybe the injuries, the lack of, of football. Is there a rustiness there? I mean, you could kind of flip that the other way as well, I suppose. Not necessarily my view. I'm just adding balance. Well, I was just going to say, I'll give you two words in reply. Tim Krull, he came with, he came to Norwich, a uh, different position of the pitch. I know, but in terms of a player who hadn't played a lot of football, he'd had some serious knee-related injuries, career-threatening injuries at Newcastle, ended his Newcastle career effectively, as he talked about openly after that point. Funny enough, there's a link there with Brighton. Same with Shane Duffy. You know, he was second-string keeper at Brighton and he wanted to come because he wanted to play football. And he still believed he had plenty of miles in the in the tank or fuel in the tank. So if it is to be Shane Duffy, I'm sure he would come with a similar mindset. And you probably hear similar types of things that Tim Krul said when he first arrived. And on the rusty front, well, yeah, I think we all remember the first few games Tim Krul played. There was, there was a little bit of that. And that's the charge that was thrown at him. That, you know, maybe his better days were behind him. But once he got himself into a nice groove, um, you know, that first title winning season, for even the first crack in the Premier League, you know, he was... Well, what a piece of transfer business that proved to be in the final analysis. And uh, so, yeah, I, I don't, on that specific point about he's undercooked over the last two years, well, he is. But uh, that, to me, because of his experience, because of the level he's played at, you know, 100 more, hundred or more games, you said, off before we started to record in the Premier League, seasoned international for his, uh, you know, country, Republic of Ireland, played in some big games in the Euros, big games in the World Cup. Um you know, that that doesn't hold any fears um, for me in terms of uh, there's a player who hasn't played a lot of football. Um, and, you know, I think those type of deals, I think if we look back in this season, tracks in the direction that everybody hopes internally and externally is the case and that they're far more competitive and really in that top six conversation all the way through and hopefully can even go further than that um, and get back to the Premier League, then then I think we'd probably look back on deals like Barnes and Duffy. And despite, inevitably, there's going to be reservations when you see players of their profile at the later stages of their career that haven't really featured too much in Duffy's case. It's inevitable you'll get those questions. But I, 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 I wouldn't be at all surprised if Norwich go on to have a very solid season that those type of players do exponentially. Uh, add value to the, to this group because I mean you've done a piece I think it's gone up earlier today about the the age breakdown of that squad as it stands and you know there's 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 a fairly clear issue in terms of mid twenties age of player um, in terms of lack of numbers in that area very very top heavy in terms of younger players um, so they do need to I think as much as it is about obviously you know having that youthful exuberance that was such a key factor in the 18-19 squad um, and then maintained it again in 21-2021 I think the balance has tipped the, too far the other way and, and Stuart Webber acknowledged that didn't he when he sat down with us that, he, that if he had his time again last summer he'd have gone and got one or two more of those older experienced players um, because there was a sense that that group had failed to deal with the second disappointment of a second relegation and that was lingering around the camp, that negativity um, and flowing into what they failed to do ultimately this time round. So you could you could look at a Barnes, you could look at a Duffy and, and that's almost him correcting the score from last summer, I think. Um, so yeah, no, I, if, if he was to come through the door, I personally think that's a good move given the, the situation around Grant Hanley, given also we've not talked about it, but 
We know Andrew Mabama Daly was a subject of some serious interest in the January transfer window. You'd expect that to be revived in some shape or form as we move through the summer. So you may potentially be losing him as well. So, um, you know, there's a lot to be said for, for maybe bringing in one or two in an area of the pitch where you you feel it as the window progresses and then on into the season, minus Grant Hanley, um, that you need you need to be um, you know proactive in what you're trying to do in terms of constructing a squad that is good enough to be able to challenge at the right end of the table. Yeah, and that, that, that's very much what I see Shane Duffy as really in terms of that that stopgap. Maybe is maybe the wrong term, but you know certainly someone who can come in and maybe fill the void that Grant Hanley will will leave at this moment in time. Someone that they of course played together at Blackburn and enjoyed a, a pretty good relationship there actually by by all accounts. But someone who's who's seasoned, who leads by example, six foot four as well. So in terms of pure size and physicality, will offer a bit. I don't think he's. He's terrible on the ball in the same way that I guess Grant Hanley isn't brilliant on the ball. I think they're they're very similar, obviously very dominant in the air. I, I would have a little bit of a worry if if Norwich do try and execute what David Wagner wants to. And uh, I would suggest that includes a high defensive line, whether he has the the kind of turn of pace that maybe we'd associate with Grant Hanley, but that can be covered off in, in different ways. So um, I think it's one that you look at and, and you, as you say, you wrap the Hanley context around it. Someone who probably isn't going to be back until 2024. Um, Anyway, but but also the fact you know you speak to to medical professionals who argue that players from uh, who, who suffer the kind of injury that he has often don't come back. Uh, often, get, you know, it's an achievement if they get back to eighty percent of what they were pre-injury. So that is again very. We have to be very realistic around where Grant Hanley is now with this Achilles injury at this stage of his career. That doesn't necessarily mean that he can't get back. I think it's just a a caution maybe from from Norwich City's perspective. So yeah, one to one to watch Shane Duffy. That's for sure. And it, uh, and again, you, you will broaden it out a little bit wider to where Norwich City find themselves in in terms of their general squad composition because it feels like certainly in in the early weeks and I guess this has maybe been been led partly due to the the Ashley Barnes transfer and it's natural that there was going to be a pillar of this transfer window that involved Norwich City recruiting more experienced players because often those players are free agents and and they are easier to sign initially than than players who who maybe are a little bit younger so that probably explains where the, where this kind of um, discourse has come from although we've heard Stuart Weber talk about it as well um if Shane Duffy did join Norwich, he would become their seventh player who was over 30, which sounds like a lot, but it, but in reality, it's what they had last season. Obviously, you have to factor in as well what we've just mentioned about Grant Hanley. So you could make an argument that that's six. Obviously, they've lost Puki and McGovern from from those ranks who, who were both out of contract. Michael McGovern, again, didn't have a lot of playtime um, last year. Um, and obviously, his influence came largely from inside the training ground and on the bench. And I guess maybe the, the, there's there's a conversation to be had about maybe more players coming into that bracket who are going to be more are going to dominate more of the minutes this year but but we'll save that for now so Norwich as it stands um without Shane Duffy obviously which um it hasn't been confirmed they've got six players who are who are over 30 at the moment again one short of where they were they've got 11 players between the age range of 20 and 24 They've only got four players between the age range of 25 and 29. So you've got this this real disparity, I guess, between a, a real older group of players and a younger group of players, which uh, you know I think you could probably diagnose as being the issue for why, when that experience or a few bits of that experience were taken out of the side last season, there was this dramatic fall in performance, this kind of uh, naive, inexperienced look to, to what we saw for Norwich City. And just to compare it, to give people some perspective, 
the last two title winning campaigns, if we start with 18, 19, they had four players who were over 37 between uh, the age of 20 and 24, and then 12 who were uh, in the age bracket, sorry, of 25 to 29, and in uh, in in 21, in that uh, championship title winning campaign in, in, in 2021, they had six who were over 30, so the same number that they have now, 11 between 2024 and 11 between 25 and 29. So it goes to showcase that it is an important age group, Adam, and it probably shows that for all the talk about experience and how Norwich City are maybe recruiting players who are 30 plus, which you know we've mentioned as being one kind of prong of their um, recruitment strategy this summer, a lot of their work, and again, Stuart Weber touched on this to be fair, is probably going to need to come in that mid-range bracket, which can be difficult for a host of reasons. Yeah, I mean, they're the sort of players that will be more at the, the peak of their powers in terms of their footballing career. So they're going to be performing at, at high levels for, for good sides and to, well, generally demand a, a bigger transfer fee. Um, and Norwich are therefore going to have to go out to the, the markets they've explored before, the likes of you know South America, um, other places in Europe. Obviously, they've got a, a scout in Italy. So you can imagine that that's kind of another region where they're, they're looking into um, for those kind of players that, that are maybe in lower divisions, but are that age bracket where they can bring, well, a little bit of experience where they've been playing, you know, for, for quite a few years now, but also they've still got a little bit more development maybe in their game to to reach the levels where, you know, they're probably at the peak for Norwich City as well. So um, I'm intrigued to see what, what that's going to look like, um, whether, you know, it is going to be those sort of markets where they bring players in from or from, or, or maybe if they go down into the lower leagues in England, of course, you know, they've, they've had success in, in those Areas in the past, certainly under sort of Paul Lambert, bringing in, you know, the likes of Pilkington and Elliot Bennett, you know, players like Grant Holt, of course, who are maybe, um, maybe in the peaks of the lower divisions that they could step up and, and make a mark in the championship. Um, so, intrigued to see where it's going to go, but certainly from a Norwich City perspective, it's an area that's got to be addressed. I mean, last season, they sort of had that criticism angled from a lot of fans that the squad was was very young towards those, you know, end, end of the season games. And I think that showed why... They only won one game in 11. Um, so I think bringing in some experience and, and also trying to match that up with some more players that maybe are in that slightly younger bracket, but maybe a little bit more experience than some of the players that Norwich have already got. Um, it's just trying to strike the balance and and make it, you know, a squad that can compete, hopefully, at the, at the top of the league. Yeah, and, and Adam's right, isn't he, Paddy? Because it's a, a very difficult age range to recruit for because often if, if you're talking about younger players, they can command lower fees if you recruit in the type of areas that Norwich City have or, as Norwich City have also done, you can bring them up through your academy at no cost at all. The older players, as, as we've seen this summer already, can largely come on, on free transfers. So either end of the spectrum is is maybe slightly, I mean, no recruitment is easy and I wouldn't like to to use that word, but it's certainly easier than perhaps recruiting in that kind of mid-bracket where, where the players are at their peak of their powers, where they're in that, that prime that Adam discussed, where they command a, more of a transfer fee. And uh, you look at Norwich City's squad for next season, as it stands, obviously this will, this will change pretty drastically. Um, before the the start of, of pre-season maybe even let alone the start of the season but as it stands the the four that they have between um 25 and uh 30 are Shemeswav Poheta who obviously has, has spent a prolonged period on 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 the treatment table we're not quite sure yet what what David Wagner makes of him Jakob uh, Sorensen Angus Gunn and Dimi Yanoulis and then you know you take a big leap up to um Onel Hernandez who is um who who's the youngest 30 year old Gabriel Sara is turning 24 next month. So um, maybe you could make a claim that Sara is now moving into that bracket. So you can maybe attach another one to it. But that mid-range for all of the talk of experience, that feels like a real crucial 
area of Norwich City squad that need addressing, particularly when you look at the kind of numbers that they had in that age profile, I guess, in, in both of their previous title winning campaigns. Yeah, that's, I mean, it is an interesting debate, but it, I mean, not only the, the intricacies of, of navigating through different strands of your, your transfer policy when you're dealing with a, a younger one as opposed to a more established, as opposed to an even more established player, but I think it's more nuanced than that again because one of the reasons against Stuart Webber when he sat down with us talking about Ashley Barnes wasn't only what he will bring as a player on the pitch. It's uh, in that mentoring role to a sergeant, to an eater, and almost, and you touched on him there, I was going to throw him in, Gabby Zara, in pure age bracket terms, yep, he would still be a below that kind of mid-profile player, but Webber clearly is looking for some of those in the 24 and under bracket to maybe break this could be a season ahead now where they break out into established figures um, almost a little bit ahead of their cycle in terms of their age and their maturity. And Zara, you know, if he moved on again from the numbers he posted last season, he'd be in that bracket. You know, Sergeant, you know, I know he's he's young in, in, in age group terms, but he's had a lot of experience. He's had, uh, you know, he had to grow up very quickly when he left America as a young boy to go to Germany and, you know, his footballing experiences as well. He, He's he strikes you as one if he got into a nice groove and got his confidence from scoring goals. He's one who would, for me, emerge as, as um, a, a figure in that kind of more established bracket, even though his age would tell you different. So I think it, it, I think the lines are a bit bit more blurred than you know chopping it up into their age, and and that that then denotes that they need more help. Or I think because Max Aaron's how old was Max Aaron's when he came through in eighteen nineteen? played with a maturity beyond his years or his experience and uh, Jamal Lewis the same. So I can kind of see, again, where Weber's going with a Barnes, potentially with a Doffy, um, in and around a McLean and a Gibson and a, and a Krull and a Hanley in a dressing room role that you drop these younger types in and around good pros who've been around the block and know what it takes and you can almost fast track their development. Um, but it doesn't half help the cause of doing that if, as eighteen nineteen testified, you know, you've got a team on the pitch, you are playing well, winning games, competing at the right end of the table, because then you can really accelerate development with a young player. And we saw the reverse of that, unfortunately, when post Millwall, it went the other way and it's one winning 11. The confidence just drained out of a hypothetical, you know, pick him out just because he's, he's in my head at the minute, Liam Gibbs or a, uh, and Adam Eder, you know, they looked players bereft of any confidence or, you know, that ability to to grab games and influence games, which I think if if it if the curve had bent the other way post Millwall, um, you'd you'd have seen them kick on as well. So it is about, yeah, the the composition of the squad in terms of age profile, but I think there's far more to that debate. Um and also I think underpinning it is, and this is where it, it falls into Wagner's orbit, is if they can get them on the front foot early and get some early momentum, then then it starts to knit together, um, and and you're less concerned then about an imbalance potentially in terms of too many young raw, uh, unproven players trying to drive it forward because it, it certainly in that final 10-11 game stretch, you you needed experience, um, and the results may not have dramatically been different, but I think they would have been far less. Um, negativity and, and far less of a, a a downward spiral in terms of one win in 11, which, you know, 
for that group of players was was so far off it it's untrue and um and there's factors in and around that which they've clearly identified and they're starting to address Ashley Barnes being the first move in that in that 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 direction but i mean it'll be it will be interesting because so much is still to unfold this summer yes they'd like to do the majority of their business this side of going on tour in july um but it might well be that certain events are outside of their hands and it's only really when we probably get to the, to the start of the season, which is early August, that you will then be able to definitively look at the squad composition and get a better sense of, OK, they've maybe corrected some of the issues we've discussed today and, and have been discussed more broadly. Um, or there's still a few concerns that maybe there is that imbalance. And when I put that point to Stuart Webber directly, he was he was very quick to dismiss any fit sort of suggestion there was an imbalance. He said it was a you know an easy stick to beat beat, beat him or the club with, but um, I think it's safe to say there was an imbalance because you know removing three players uh, and you then see the results go off a cliff, and also his admission you know in in our round of interviews that he probably should have done one or two more in that experience bracket last summer. Um, that tells you they were lacking in that area. So, yeah, I, I I think it's it clearly feels like they've identified where they there is imbalances structurally in that squad, and of course the test now is can he and can David Wagner and the people around them um, put plans in place to address that as as soon as possible, and David then gets to work in pre season with this group. Yeah, and and the key words you used there in balance or or balance, sorry, and 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 that's the key point. We're still we're still in May, and and ultimately, um, it's not what your squad looks like in May, is it? It's what it looks like uh, come August and come the the end of that transfer window. And of course, there's there's some natural balance that will that will come to that. Of course, if if we're saying as uh, and we'll probably come on hopefully if we if we get time to speak about Max Aarons and, and Andrew Mohamedelli, if we're probably expecting both of those to go, then suddenly you've got nine in that twenty to twenty four bracket, and suddenly a couple of additions in that mid bracket, and it doesn't look so skewered uh, perhaps like it does at, at this moment in time and I think your, your point is valid and I think from my perspective what 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 is interesting is the fact that the two title winning campaigns had a lot of players who were in that group but there's lots of reasons for that and I've spoken about this before what Norwich didn't have last season for me was when you took those experienced players out of it they didn't have a team with a structure that could carry those young players that could allow them to make mistakes that could allow them to be naive in the same way that perhaps the team in 2018-19 did. When, when you think about the, the, the brilliance of that team and for all of the talk about kind of the young players, Aaron's, Lewis, Godfrey within it, actually it was it was the overall structure that allowed those players to be dropped in to be really effective. And that's kind of where they need to get to. Again, it can't be too top-heavy in either direction. And, and that's such a difficult balance to strike in, in the world of recruitment. And that is the task. So that's where Norwich City stand at this moment in time. Where will they stand in August? That's the key question. And perhaps we'll, we'll revisit this debate um, then. We obviously, in terms of composition, have a, a full composition of the championship now following uh, Monday's League One playoff final, um, uh, which, you know, as it stands, looks like this. Birmingham, Blackburn, Bristol City, Cardiff City, Coventry City, Huddersfield Town, Hull City, Ipswich Town, Leeds United, Leicester City, Middlesbrough, Millwall, Norwich, of course, Plymouth, Preston, QPR, Rotherham, Sheffield Wednesday, Southampton, Stoke, Sunderland, Swansea, Watford and West Brom. Um, nice to see a little bit of balance brought back. Not too much, though. I think we're still going to be heading north an awful lot, but it felt like we were heading north uh, every week last week uh, in, uh, or last season, sorry, in terms of the, 
the the trips on the road. I mean, for as much as we we spoke about quality last season, Adam, and and maybe the lack of it that there was at Championship level, the changes, and it's interesting because really it's only six clubs that have changed. But you you look at it now, you look at some of the badges when when they're laid out on some nice graphics that have been doing the rounds on, on social media, and on paper. And of course, it never works out like this uh, for for various reasons that we'll delve into. But it looks a a really strong division, as as Paddy has already alluded to. Certainly, clubs who are well supported, a rich tapestry of of history in there, um, feels at this moment in time like a really tough division to to get out of. Yeah, I saw a stat yesterday. Nineteen teams have played in the Premier League out of the twenty four in the Championship, and two of which have won the Premier League as well. Of course, Blackburn and Leicester have both won the title in that league. So, um, obviously, it could have been for Norwich City, but we won't go down that path. But um, yeah, it, it certainly looks on paper a really difficult division. I mean, some of the clubs in there, you know, Sunderland, Leicester, Leeds, you know, that these are big, big sides in England and. It's quite funny you then look at the Premier League graphic and obviously no disrespect to those sides, but the likes of Brentford and Luton and Brighton and sides like that, that that maybe don't have the illustrious history of some of the sides that are now in the championship. Um, but then again, I, I look back to that 18-19 so, uh, season where Norwich won the title. You know, there was so many big sides in that league. You know, Aston Villa were in that team or in that league, sorry, and Leeds were in that league, Sheffield United were in that league. So... It's been done before, and as Paddy kind of said earlier on in, in the pod, it, it can be done. You know, it's just around building a squad, getting momentum. And, you know, Norwich City typically in the past have done quite well in the championship against sort of the big guns as such in that division. So I don't see any reason why it can't be done again. Um, probably a little bit less mileage on the clock next season for compared to last season. So that's maybe a plus. And, you know, the likes of a, a trip to Plymouth uh, are more exciting maybe than a, than a trip to Wigan with with all you know due respect. So, um yeah, a few positives in, in terms of changes, um, you know, and I'm looking forward to it. it. On paper, it looks like a division that could be, um, you know, one that goes right to the wire in terms of promotion and relegation. Yeah, it looks tasty, doesn't it, Paddy? I mean, what, I mean, you're wearing green at, at this moment um, in time. So that makes me think that you're looking forward to a trip to Plymouth. You're muted, Paddy. Sorry, there I have to Dallas is actually where uh, where my top is allegiance to Connor. So uh, <laughs> unless they get a transfer from the MLS, I mean that's going to happen next season. But uh, yeah, no, yeah, I mean, like AH is just mapped out there. It's um, you you could get yourself very panicked about Norwich's prospects in and amongst that group at this stage of the summer, where you're coming off the back of such a disappointing season, uh, and there's so many imponderables, but. Go back to what I said right at the outset. Nobody really, I'm sure, um, unless they had a crystal ball, was was saying Luton will play Cov in the playoff final. So it can be done. And Norwich themselves have done it in, in Stuart Webber's time here. So, and, you know, because we've come through the the, the sort of the journey that the Leicester and, and Southampton, who might be under new management and a familiar face in Russell Martin, if those reports are true, um, and Leeds, but they've all got to now contend with a lot of the baggage that Norwich were unable to deal with second time round, first time round, yes. But um, you know, Leicester's managerial situation, Dean Smith, is he going to be there? Is he not? You know, that's all up in the air. Um, Leeds, Sam Allardyce, unlikely he's going to be there. So there's going to have to be a change of coach there. There's talk about changes higher up the food chain at Leeds. Directors of football, sporting directors, certain Stuart Webber's name being mentioned. Leeds fan, as we know. And of course, we just touched on it here, Southampton looking for a new head coach. So, albeit you've got three clubs who come armed with all the financial 
um, advantages over the majority of the other clubs in the championship next season. There's a lot of work that, I mean, you were talking about Norwich need to do a lot of work this summer, probably not as much as those three relegated Premier League clubs on and off the pitch. So huge, huge unknowns from those trio. But of course, you know, you would still expect when, when the, when the real action kicks off that they'll certainly be touted for promotion, those three immediate promotion back. Um, I actually look at the other end of it and I see a resurgent Plymouth. I see a resurgent Ipswich, dare we say, and the man of Sheffield Wednesday seemed to be running away with it. Then really, really looked like they were throwing it away and then get the, get that momentum in dramatic fashion at Wembley over the weekend. You know, and They are a massive club as well to take AH's point in terms of historical and the scale of their fan base. So, you know, the, the the really is if you're Norwich, you're getting squeezed from above and squeezed from below, and and you've also got clubs like Sunderland, who under Tony Mowbray really had a good go, got them into the playoffs. They'll be probably stronger second time round under him. I think Alex Neil and Stoke, they they will clearly have aspirations now. I think they're freed of some of the financial restrictions they've been working under in the last few seasons. We know they've got huge backing from the Coates family and the Potteries, so you'd think they'll have a good go at it. And then there will be a Luton, there will be a Huddersfield-type club who probably nobody's going to discuss this summer who will be in and amongst it. So, um, yeah, you, you could, if you're from looking at it from a, a Norwich perspective, get yourself very aerated at this stage. But I think, again, like we discussed with the transfer rollout, let's see where Norwich are when we get round to the start of the season. And, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't feel that it's beyond them to get in the top six, even at this stage of, of the summer. But, um, but so much would have to go right because I, I think it will be a very, very competitive as it is all the time in the championship. But it, it feels like that that bracket of clubs who will start the season thinking we're in with a shout here if we can get things going. I, I think that probably spans at least half the division and maybe even a bigger sample than that. So if you're in a, a race of 12 or a race of 15 clubs, you've got to be pretty good on and off the pitch to to get yourself in and amongst the promotion conversation. So that's the challenge. That was a challenge 18, 19, 20, 21, and, and they managed to find the right answers. But um, I think the thing is, and I think Stuart Weber kind of alluded to it in his round of media, that expectation, because people, as they've discussed now, since the makeup became clear in the last few days, I don't think too many will really certainly put Norwich in a conversation for automatic and probably even top six outside of Norwich. Um, and that that then brings them back to where they were in 1819 in terms of the expectancy internally to a degree, but even that's going to get dialed down after after how poor last season was, I think, amongst the fan base, amongst those inside the club. Um, but externally, certainly there'll be no, I don't think be too, there'll be anybody putting too many pounds on Norwich to come back next season compared to the other teams in this division. Um Use that to your advantage. Fly under the radar as they did in eighteen nineteen. Yeah, and just to give you a, a kind of perspective on on the state of the cham- championship next season, half of the division are going to be playing in grounds which uh, have twenty nine thousand or hold twenty nine thousand or more um, from from Birmingham at St Andrews twenty nine thousand four hundred all the way to to Sunderland on forty nine thousand. Obviously, a lot of clubs in there as well um it, it is interesting what you say because you know if we if we use it uh, this year's example and um, maybe this this kind of talks about the missed opportunity but there was only one side who, who went down the the year prior who have gone on to get promotion in pretty spectacular fashion um in, in burnley watford and norwich found their issues um a, a lot deeper and a lot harder to overcome that will be the same as you mentioned for leeds who 
uh, or, or in a complete and utter, uh, I don't want to use the word mess, but certainly in a, in a state of flux where, where there's a potential for a lot of change there. Leicester, uh, certainly in terms of their playing squad, and I know that there's some some financial issues, but you still expect them really to to be quite strong in terms of the squad that they can put together. Worth mentioning at this venture that Norwich, uh, I mean, you put it to Stuart Webber directly in our chat with him, they still do hold that that sell-on clause for, for James Madison, which is 15% of profit, because I know we're going to be repeating uh, a lot of that over the, the course of the summer. I think he's entered his final 12 months, hasn't he? So that and relegation probably mean that Norwich wouldn't have got the the price that um, maybe they would have done. Cheers for that, Dean Smith. Um, so uh, that that's it as well. And Southampton, who have looked like they've been going down for a little while, but even they are appointing different people. Russell Martin, like you mentioned, they've got Jason Wilcox in as their um, director of football. There's a lot of changes off the pitch there. So there's no guarantee what kind of state these clubs are going to be in at the, this moment in time um, next season and how quickly they're going to be able to turn it. The fact that two of those clubs were waiting until essentially a few days ago to, to know their fate. I mean, that doesn't help in terms of planning. Norwich have already got their first signing through the door, working on, on, on a few others as well. So they should have a head start in, in terms of that basis. Football never quite works like that, but um, that's a way to look at it as well. Um, and yeah, how, how those clubs from, from League One adapt. Again, I, I personally feel Ipswich are probably in the strongest position of the three to really have a crack at this division. But then what does having a crack at this division really look like? We're not sure at the moment. And then, as you mentioned, there are teams in there who will upset the uh, the apple cart and, uh, and and defy maybe the expectations that people put into them. Are we now putting Norwich City in that bracket? I'm not sure. That's probably a debate for another day. But the, the overall um, makeup of the championship feels really interesting and probably does make or hammer home the point of how much of a missed opportunity it, it, it was last season. So um, plenty more rumblings on in, in that regard. I mean, the, the fixtures, we, we still have got to wait a few weeks for them. That's the 22nd of June, uh, 9am, where we'll learn um, who Norwich City will play. Adam, if you've got a, an opening day pick, who who are you going for at this moment in time? I've put you on the spot. I appreciate that. Yeah, knowing Norwich City's fixture, like it'll probably be somewhere like, Preston away that would be my my suggestion <laughs> they never tend to get like a really nice opening day fixture I mean for when me was the last got... time they were at home on the opening day that feels like it's been a, a real period of time in the Premier League it would have been Liverpool wouldn't it but I remember yes yeah that's right yeah, yeah Not that can't, remember, can't remember the championship but um yeah they don't really tend to get like the idea would be like Plymouth away I mean right at the start of August bright sunshine down in down that neck of the woods and I think that would be a, a really nice start to the season and, and probably a sort of fixture that Plymouth fans would be up for and Norwich could probably go down there and feel like they've got a good chance to get three points on the on the you know on the on the scoreboard early doors which would um settle a few nerves because we know Norwich are not great typically at, at starting in the championship in terms of points tally. So uh that would feel like a nice fixture. But yeah, if, if you said to me what the fixture computer is actually going to throw up, um, I'd go Preston away. Yeah, I'll, I'll remind you of that Plymouth comment after in, in mid-July um, when when we've, when we've got plenty of miles on the clock from pre-season. Pad, if you had to, if you had to, you know, um, tamper with the supercomputer and and pull out a choice, what would be your your selection? Cov away, mate. CBS Arena. It's got it's got to be done, hasn't it? I'll get to see my family and. Uh... That's an interesting one. Would you not rather do that towards Christmas time or towards the back end of the season? You'd rather get it done. No, 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 I've, no. I'd like, like, um, 
I'd like to go and uh, take advantage of their, as in with my Norwich hat on, their um, sort of disappointment and dejection, catch them early, because uh, obviously it goes without saying they'll run away with the division. We've just talked about who's going <laughs> to who's going to get promoted. It's it's a not it's a, it's a no brainer. Although it's, it's uh, I will just say it's just popped into my head in terms of you know even clubs who had a good season and coming off the back, they're, they're two top players, Jokeresh and, and Hamer. They're both more than likely going to move on this summer. They're both entering like Madison, um, 12 months like Max Aaron's, 12 months out from contracts. So even clubs who've had good seasons this time around in the Championship, which Norwich, well, let's be all be honest, we wouldn't put them in that bracket. The nature of the financial challenges a lot of clubs in the Championship are facing, um, you know, there will be there will be quite an evolution again with a lot of these squads. So it, again, it all flows into probably resisting the temptation to sort of almost at this stage um, prematurely suggesting where, where Norwich can pitch their sort of horizons or, or where they are relative to other clubs in the division, because I think so much is going to change over this summer. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, uh, and what I would add into that discussion as well is like uh, clubs like, like, like Millwall and, and Blackburn, who had a really good go at the playoffs this year, I suppose that uh, you could put Coventry in that bracket as well. Are they going to be able to sustain the type of form and the level of performances that they produced? Are they going to be able to keep hold of, of players in, in the same way, which perhaps might not be so difficult? And but then equally, you could flip that and look at some of the teams in, in, in the mid, sort of mid end of the division. Someone like a Middlesbrough, for example, who was so good for long periods under, under, I know they weren't in the mid part of the division, but Michael Carrick wasn't there all season. The prospect of him and, and them producing the level of performance, can they do that over a whole season? If they can, I think it's going to be a problem for a lot of other teams. Likewise, um, what West Brom displayed for parts of of life under Carlos Corbran. Can they keep hold of him? So, so much of it is, is in the air. Watford, I mean, surely they're not going to be as bad again as they were last year. And if they are, then they're going to get through about four or five managers. I mean, I did joke that uh, Valerie Ishmael, who uh, is is this month's um, uh, lucky winner of, of being manager of Watford, is is going to be one of them, their longest serving coaches by the time the start of the season uh, uh, comes around, just by the nature of there not being a season and, and him having a pre-season. So, there's lots and lots up in the air. And I think, it, it, as we know with this division, um, as it, as is its trademark, it becomes very difficult to to predict. But we'll, we'll perhaps try and do a full prediction pod at some point uh, when we have access to all of the uh, fixtures, all of the uh, data that we need in terms of transfers and state of those clubs. But it's it's interesting now that the composition has been confirmed to look at it and maybe assess where people's views are at are with it because I'm sure a lot of people um, are, are looking at it in the way you suggest pad and maybe with a, a tinge of anticipation and um, I don't know dread might be a bit strong but certainly certainly um, anticipation about how it's how it's going to go next season um, let's talk then because I, I note that we we kind of missed this out of our, our post Weber chat we, we didn't speak about the the two young players purely because we ran out of time um, who he kind of said they would be looking to, to or open to offers to or wh- whatever we've we've heard from uh, from Max Aaron's today's done an interview in in the Athletic uh, basically reaffirming essentially what what Stuart Weber said Adam in terms of uh, his future feels that it's the right time for him to to leave the football club I think a lot of people would would probably confer with or concur with that sorry 200 appearances five years probably as Stuart Weber said really Norwich have, have done what they need to do for him now he can't progress. Um, Omar Amadeli as well. I mean, what 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 do you make of the timing of this Max Aaron's interview? I suppose it feels like a a real loud and clear message to perhaps people who are in the market, nice and early for a right back that there's one available at Norwich City this summer for for a decent price. 
Yeah, you'd imagine he's a, a player that's well known across, you know, multiple countries, you know, in terms of their scouting. And he's a player who's been playing in, in the Premier League and the Championship consistently now for, for five seasons. And he's been you know, hitting some big milestones, two Championship titles, a, a young Championship Player of the Season award, of course, as well. And, you know, he's been playing against some of the best elite players in the world in the Premier League. And, and you know, on the whole, been been doing relatively well. I still think there's a lot of development in his game. But for me, those probably can't really be reached at Norwich City anymore. His development in those kind of areas will only come when he makes that move to a, you know, a bigger club or, or a Premier League club or, or anywhere else in Europe in terms of top flight. Um, but yeah, it feels like probably him and his agency have been... You know, looking for a move for for a few, well, a little bit of a, a while now, and, and Norwich City can still get a little bit of value for a player that ultimately, if he went for a free, you'd still feel like you've got you know the maximum value out of him—a a, ten thousand pound purchase from Luton Town all those years ago. And if you'd have said it, you know, when he first came into that squad against Stevenage in the Carabao Cup, that you've got a player there that's going to play two hundred plus games for your club and and you know, reach the milestones that he has, then I think everybody would wish him well and say he's served Norwich City Football Club. You know as a professional through for his whole time here he's had lots of transfer links at different points to to big clubs and and that can be a distraction certainly for for younger players when you know you get touted to Barcelona that's that's a real distraction you know I think anybody would be looking at that and going you know I really want that move but for him to then still be at Norwich City in the championship and and still providing you know seven eight out of ten performances week in week out um you know that's a credit to the player and I think most Norwich City fans will wish him well and, and probably watch his career and hope that he can kick on and maybe we'll see him in an England shirt one day because that would be um, yeah, that'd be a really nice uh, you know, sort of touch from a Norwich City perspective that they helped him on that journey. Yeah, he would. He's, he's certainly got fierce competition in, in that area of the pitch. Yeah, England seems to have about seven really good right backs at the, at the moment from Alexander Arnold to Reese James, etc. Uh, Luton's a, a really interesting one, just in terms of obviously they're, they're promoted. Uh, there's obviously the the link of that being a, a former club for him. They, they've got um, is it Cody Drama there at the moment who is on loan from from Leeds? Uh, I would imagine if if Leeds need a right back, that he would be in in the conversation for that. So there would be a, a, a right wing back opportunity opening up for him but whether he would fancy that or whether he would try and get something a little bit higher who knows I mean for me I I, I personally would like to see him go abroad I think that would probably be better suited to him at this moment in time Germany probably in terms of the development of of English players over there in the last few years I think that would be a really exciting move um, who knows maybe a, a certain Gladbach coach if he manages to stay in his post for for that long would uh, w- would it would like that um, someone who, who Max Aaron still referred to as the boss in, in, in that interview so um, we, we know there's still a lot of uh, a lot of feeling between those two I mean Pad that, that probably a, a two-part question really for you where, where can you see him kind of ending up and I guess in the the point that Norwich fans will, will be discussing as well is is the one around price, right? Because he's not going to command anywhere near the the type of fee that he he perhaps would have done a couple of years ago. Um, I, uh, as I've said before, would would doubt whether a, a club would spend that much on a right back anyway. Um, what sort of ballpark do you think Norwich are looking in in terms of transfer fee this summer for for Max Aarons? Difficult, difficult. Yeah. Um... I mean, as always with these things, there's, there's Norwich's valuation, which he references in that article, actually, that that's kind of been all through these recent or previous windows where there has been interest, defined interest in terms of how firm, how tangible it was. But the Norwich had a, a very clearly in their own head figure. And if it didn't hit that, then there'd be no further discussions. It clearly never did because he remained a Norwich player. Uh, but the clock is now ticking. They don't clearly want a Todd Cantwell scenario again. 
term where they 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 lose him for a fraction of his market value uh and every 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 noise from Stuart Webber to Max Aarons himself suggests it's this window so i think there will have to be a uh, a realization and a reality in terms of Norwich's value on the player uh and as a result i'm probably oh, i'd be minded to look in the 10 to 15 bracket if you got got up around 15 you're doing well i think because uh I think there's no doubt his career has plateaued uh, and that's partly down to playing in a team who've been going backwards the last two years. Um, but we're not talking about the Max Aarons who burst onto the scene 18-19 or even the one who came back armed with a year at Premier League level in between in 2021. You know, this is a for him, unfortunately, a different version on the body of evidence for the last two years. I think he, without putting words into his mouth, I don't think he was, he was, he was a man who... who really warmed to what Dean Smith was trying to impose on him in terms of his game and the individual elements of his game. Um, you, you got a clear sense when it jumped. Well, I, yeah, off. I remember. Mark I can't remember what the game Mark. was. I yeah. remember after him doing a post-match, I can't remember what the game is now. It was pretty soon after Dean Smith was gone and he made that pretty clear in both his, his answers and his tone of answer that, that, that was, that that was the case. Sorry to interrupt. No, 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 you're right. No, yeah, exactly. So I'm pretty sure that, you know, in a quieter moment, he would feel that his career hasn't been well served by, you know, a season or 18 months or whatever it was, 15 months under Dean Smith. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think now, given the contractual situation, given that his career isn't at the, the highest apex that it was previously, um, and then you look, and then as always, if, it, if, if it's to be Premier League entities, who would be looking for a, a young English right-back and willing to commit the funds sort of north of 10 million. So it may well have to be an overseas move. Um, and if so, yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't rule out a certain former mentor of his if he's still in post in Mönchengladbach because he'd have took him last summer by all accounts. And uh, I think there was an inquiry, but it was more of a loan with a view to uh, option rather than obligation to buy. So that's definitely one to keep an eye on if Daniel remains in post moving forward. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, Luton, I, I, I wouldn't see it. I wouldn't see why Luton would appeal to him because is he not, for me, switching what he had at Norwich for what he would, would have at Luton in terms of a team who are probably unlikely to stay up, certainly uh, in terms of longer-term stay up. So, you know, that feels a bit sideways move for me. I think if you're him and you were talking Premier League, you'd be looking for a, a club who are sort of in the mid-rank mid maybe, but with aspirations that they could push things on. Um and then it's a case of are they are those bracket of clubs looking for for players who fit his profile? So I don't think I don't think we can say definitively that he he will go and where he will go. But um, clearly the expectation and the, there is a willingness in terms of Norwich as a selling club, in terms of Max himself and the people around him to facilitate something this summer. So I guess it just comes down to how good a salesperson or salespeople he's got around him and. Uh, and also worth mentioning as well, he is in the England's party going off to the under-21s Euros. If both England and himself have a good tournament, that's a great shot window. And that might be what they're, they're waiting to see now, that he goes there, he starts games regularly, um, plays well, England play well, go deep into that tournament. And then you might just find that that's perfect in terms of uh, a shot window for him uh, and a profile raiser. Um and just reconnecting again with maybe some clubs who would have had him clearly on their radar when he was first coming through, but maybe a folding 
bit lower down in terms of, you know, a, a desirable commodity. Um, and that's all it takes. I mean, I remember is it Jacob Murphy went off one summer and had a good Euros off the back of a, a good breakthrough season with Norwich. I think it was the Alex Neil championship season. Um, and thereafter, you know, he's he's getting himself a, a, what's turned out to be an unbelievable move to Newcastle. Jacob Murphy now in the Champions League. So, you know, don't underestimate the potential t- that could open up from having a good tournament for England this summer. But uh, yeah, I, I think this this summer, more than any other summer, feels like so long, Max. And as Adam rightly said, uh, he'll go with, with the best wishes of pretty much every Norwich fan because the way he's conducted himself off the pitch and on the pitch has been exemplary. Yeah, I, I do wonder if Crystal Palace could be one to watch. Um, just in terms of there's an opening there at right back. Um, that would be that would be interesting and probably a decent move. I think Norwich will do very very well to get ten million for him. If I'm being completely honest, just in terms of where he is and uh, his contractual situation. But we shall see. Obviously, the more interest uh, in him, the better in terms of uh, pushing that that price up. One thing I, I did want to mention very 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 quickly was obviously we didn't discuss this on, on the podcast last week, um, the imminent arrival of Narcas Pelash, hopefully I'm saying that right, uh, who will be from here on in referred to as Chico because that is uh, what he has uh, branded himself as and it saves me not having to say his name um, a lot. But uh, obviously a Huddersfield Town first team coach that, that Norwich City are pretty close to um, appointing from, from what we gather to David Wagner's backroom staff. So that's a, an interesting one, plenty written about him at pinkin.com. I don't know if either of you lads will have anything to say on that front before we sign off. Both of you are shaking your head, so that's good, so we can move on. Um, and that is about it, really. Oh, yeah, some, some very tentative uh, links to a young Hamilton midfielder as well, Gabrielle Forsyth, who... Um, yeah, he's in Scotland on the 17. So not one to uh, to put on your first team list, but but certainly one if you're making notes for, for the academy as well. Um, I think that's everything covered for this week's show. We've done remarkably well to get an hour out of it. So thank you, gents, for your conversation and for, uh, for, for you guys as well for listening. As ever, of course, you can get in touch with the podcast. You can uh, let us know what you thought of it. If it's positive, if it's negative, don't worry about it. Um, and of course, you can uh, you can even share it on social media for us if you like and tell everyone how great it is. Um, you can you can earn yourself a pat on the back from us if you uh, if you do that. Pinkin.com, Pinkin Plus app, all the usual avenues to follow this summer for all of the transfer lines and uh, other lines as well as we uh, embark towards the new campaign. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again very soon.